Hey friends, this might be warning, disclaimer, there might be a little bit of complainy pantsy maintainership thing in this episode. If you are um, not, if you are prone to, uh, to telling, what am I even saying? I'm not going to delete this episode. I'm just going to keep going. Forget about that poorly formulated introduction. Let's jump in. Issues, 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 issues. GitHub issues are so freaking annoying that the bane of my existence, um, but they're necessary. So Livewire, I've been thinking about Livewire as a system, the Livewire project and Alpine too, but Alpine. So here's the thing with Alpine. Alpine is stable right now. There's not a lot of Alpine issues, not a lot of pull requests. It's quieted down big time. And a lot of that is thanks to help from Hugo and Ryan Chandler and Simo, Simo Ney, Simo Todd, as you may know him in the repo. Kevin Badadorf, uh, those are all awesome people in Alpine. Alpine's code base is like so freaking small compared to Livewire um, that it it can experience this bliss of being like a small discrete package that once it's sort of figured out, it's kind of settled down. Um, I have big plans for Alpine, but I'm just saying that right now, I'm going to let it be stable. <laughs> I'm just going to let it be a good tool that's stable and that people are happy with because everything else in my life is a... Um, I don't want to say a battle like Livewire is this uh, Livewire is an ambitious project. It's super freaking ambitious. It's got a big footprint and it's controversial and it requires a lot of me. And Alpine is a companion to Livewire. I almost made Alpine part of Livewire. So in my mind, Alpine is a part of Livewire, you know, Um, but it's stabilized. So anyway, Livewire is not stable because I just tagged V2. And so there's way more people using Livewire, way more people now that it's in Jetstream. And I tagged V2, which had lots of big changes. And so it's not stable. There's new issues every day. It is way more stable than when I launched V2, but, you know, there's still an influx of issues and pull requests. So anyway, blabbering on and on and on, Livewire as a system, I was thinking of it in terms of ins and outs. Like if if it's a machine and there's inputs and there's out like a sausage maker where, you know, you put like meat in the little like hopper in one end and then you turn the crank and then the sausage comes out into the tube on the other end. So the sausage, the meat going in would be um, GitHub issues. That's one input to the Livewire system. That's how I learn about problems with it, bugs. Then there's pull requests, which are sometimes features, new features. Sometimes they're bug fixes. That's another input to the system. There's GitHub discussions that go on, that feature request discussions and things. That's another input. There's conversations I have with friends. There's Twitter, there's email, there's Discord, there's the forum. These are all things that are inputs into the Livewire system. And then you turn the crank and the output of Livewire is the code itself, first and foremost, tagged releases, uh, composer releases. And I also consider documentation part of that output. And this podcast is part of the Livewire output and the uh, the screencasts, if I didn't say that already, and conference talks and things, those are all the output. So I was thinking of in, input and output. I'm getting the output down, you know, I think I have a good process for tagging releases and documenting changes and um, talking about things on screencasts and giving conference talks. The input, however, is much more disorganized. It's siloed into the broad categories of issues, pull requests, discussions, whatever, scattered all over the place. And really at the end of the day, what I need is I need two things. I need two inputs and I need to figure out how to manage them very well. The first input is bugs. I need a good way of knowing the problems with Livewire, but much more than just knowing the problems. 
I need organization. I need prioritization. I need to know the worst problems that affect the most people and are the most requested for fixing or whatever all the way down. So priority is probably the biggest one. And then it's clarity. I need those problems to be, to be clearly defined, to be reproducible, to have code associated with them that makes them easily reproducible. That's what needs to happen on the, on the problem fixing end. And then on the feature end, I need to know, I need to know the things that people are experiencing about the tool and the features that they want so that I can compare them with my own notes and my own needs and make decisions about whether or not something should be added into the framework and have discussions about those things. Those are the two really important inputs. And both of them are disorganized right now. And I'm actually sort of reaching the limits of GitHub, I think. I think GitHub, and I, so now that I'm digging into this, there's lots of other projects who complain like crazy about GitHub. (laughs) GitHub is, I freaking love GitHub. But on a big project, GitHub issues are a horrible, like, place to manage these things. They're really bad. And and there's actually, this is a, I'm going to do another episode after this about, hey, the email app I've been using that's like fixed email for me. Because I think there's a lot of parallels here to like GitHub issues right now feel like the Gmail giant never ending inbox of emails. And what I want it to be, what I want to turn it into is something like a thing I have achieved with Hey, where I have a really good way of managing emails now. Um, so yeah, so here, here's, here's the problems. Here's my potential solutions, whatever. I sort of mapped out on a sheet of paper, the life cycle of a GitHub issue. And it goes something like this. Somebody experiences a problem. They open an issue, and this is kind of an ideal world. They open an issue, and you know what? I'm not even going to assign who's doing what. I'll say that an issue gets opened with an observation about some effect. There's uh, Safari autofill is broken. The second field in the username and password field is blank when I hit autofill, whatever. Okay, and then ideally there's like a GIF or screenshots, and then there's code to reproduce the problem. Um, whatever the versions that the problem was experienced on, ideally other people confirm that they've experienced this problem. Then somebody reproduces, makes it reproducible, boils the code down because a lot of times people post like just the code copy and pasted from their app. And that's not cool because I can't paste it into mine and make it work because I don't have your eloquent models and stuff like that. So ideally they, they slim it down and they boil it down to the simplest, most reproducible set of code. And then the scientific method, like I talked about, you form the hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, and you rinse and repeat until you get a positive feedback, until you go, oh, that confirmed it, that was the thing. Then you write the test, or you write the test up front, ideally, and you write the test, and then you merge it into master, you tag the release, and we're good to go. That's the life cycle of a bug fix, right? So I started thinking about, right now, there's a minimum responsibility on both ends. If you think about it, like, if you wrote down that all those things in like a flow chart, all those steps going down the first step, I don't actually create issues almost ever. Sometimes I do, but for the most part, that's something that I expect the community to do is to discover. If I discover issues, I generally fix them. So you discover an issue and you post it. What do you post? Let's say that right now, I think there's an assumption of people using GitHub that the minimum responsibility of the poster is just to describe the problem, you know, and some people violate this. Obviously, some people like literally just say like, this thing is broken, and then they submit the issue. Then we can close that right away. You know, I can just say, needs more info, closed, sorry. I, I can't, you know, service that little information. So I think that it's reasonable to say that in most projects, the minimum level of effort required for an issue submitter is to describe the outcome and general steps to reproduce. I think that's the minimum expectation. Then 
it's kind of a, a mystery of like who does the rest. There's no clear lines. It's like, well, hopefully you'll do the rest, Caleb. Hopefully you'll take what I'm giving you and you'll turn it into something reproducible and then you'll fix it, right? And then I'm sort of thinking, hopefully you'll do that. Hopefully you'll bring it as far as you can to help me, you know? So I've thought about something that would help me in my life so much is if everything in the GitHub issues tab, like here, here's the flow that I was toying with. This is kind of dangerous. I haven't really run this by too many people yet. I'm, this isn't anything official, but I'm thinking, what if the GitHub issues tab is ruthless, like ruthless, like every day I get to inbox zero on GitHub issues, maybe not inbox zero, but something like that, where I look at an issue and here's what I expect as a minimum. You write an observation, you give me a screenshot or something to show the issue, and you submit a reproducible code that is slimmed down. If it's, if you have eloquent models in there, if you haven't done the monotonous but very easy task of boiling the issue down by going, okay, this thing happens. What if I remove this div? You know, okay, does it still happen? Yeah, okay, what if I remove this? And keep doing that until you pinpoint the problem. And then you pinpoint it, and then you give that to me. You don't have to form a hypothesis. You just have to make it as reproducible as possible. You have to you have to provide the experiment for reproduction. That's what you have to do. And if you haven't done that, I will close the issue and I will comment about what it needs and then you can reopen it. And this way, I can live a sane life. Because if my task in the morning was to wake up, and if I spent a week doing this, this would be fine, or just implement, integrate it into my life in some way, that I just went through issues every so often that I just go through and I go, oh, great. Let me copy and paste this up. Oh, totally reproduced it. Okay. I can identify the problem. I can fix it fairly easily. That's not always the case, but it would make my life a million times easier if I didn't have to do all of this work that you're capable of doing. I'm sorry. I'm yelling at you. I'm, this is the proverbial you, um, you know what I'm saying? So, oh my gosh, we're at 10 minutes. Let's talk more about this soon. Thanks. Bye.